0: Welcome to The Athletic Mind, your go-to podcast for maximizing your mental game. I'm your host, Taylor Cook, a mental performance coach and a former professional hockey goalie. Join me for open conversations about mental health, mindset, and performance. Whether you're an athlete or coach, you'll discover a wealth of tools, resources, and insights designed to transform the way you play and lead. Let's get into it. Hello everybody, welcome back to another week, another episode of the Athletic Mind Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Cook, and this episode's pre-game warm-up walkthrough is going to be really quick because I'm joined by a special guest today and I want to make sure that we jump right into it. So, as always, if you have not left a rating and review for the podcast, whether you are a long-time listener or a new listener, whether you listen on Apple or Spotify, it does not matter, please please take a minute of your time to go ahead and leave the rating or review. This really does help the podcast grow and reach new listeners just like you and that is my entire mission with this podcast is to be able to help athletes and coaches reach that next level. And and as I mentioned before, on previous episodes um, working on getting more active on social and engaging with all of you listeners. So if you do not already follow my personal account, uh, please do so. You can do that by following at Taylor B cook underscore on Instagram and TikTok. Uh, I'm going to be removing the athletic mind pod Instagram. It's just way too much to be able to be posting on multiple different channels when I can just post everything through one and make my life easier. And yes, Next on the list is the group coaching and accountability program. So this is going to be a three month program with biweekly group coaching and accountability calls with athletes and coaches where you can learn mental coaching strategies to improve your performance, work on goal setting and progress tracking, discuss hot topics and have a very positive and supportive space to get advice from others and also to be able to support other people as well. So if this is something that you would be interested in, please kindly send me a message on Instagram or on LinkedIn. You can find both of those down in the show notes below. And lastly, if you are an athlete and you want to step up your game, or if you are a coach that wants to improve the experience that you are providing for your athletes, you can learn more by going to my website, www.taylor-minds.com. You can see the show notes also for that direct link. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Athletic Mind. I am joined by special guest today. We've been trying to get this episode in the works for I don't know how long at this point, but we're finally doing it. So very, very big thank you for joining us today is Will Johnson. Will, how's it going?
1: It's going well. Uh, yeah, it's been uh, in the works for some time. So glad that we're finally <laughs> able to get this episode recorded
0: yeah absolutely me too and and i think this episode is going to be a little bit different because i feel like a lot of the previous episodes with guests are usually kind of centered around one specific topic um whether that's mental health or mental performance but and it's usually like in the context of sports but i feel like you have a very unique background compared to a lot of the other guests that i've had on the show uh, so maybe I shouldn't spoil it. I'll let you kind of give a little bit more of a an in-depth introduction as to like who you are, what you're doing now, and, and a little bit of your background and your journey.
1: Yeah, yeah. So definitely a bit unique. Um, grew up playing all various types of sports, started specializing in basketball in high school, um, played all four years in high school, and then didn't get a whole lot of recruiting to go to division one out of high school, kind of had a late growth spurt. I guess that's what I, I blame on uh, not getting recruited a whole lot, but um, I found myself at Virginia tech just because that's where both my parents went and it was kind of a hometown college. And um, yeah, I kind of knew I always wanted to go to Virginia tech and, I knew that I wasn't going to get a full scholarship when I went to Virginia Tech to play. So I went in as a walk on, Uh, did my first year at Virginia Tech as a walk on on the basketball team, didn't know where that was going to lead. Uh, Honestly, I I joined in to start as a practice player, didn't even have a, a jersey to dress out and my mindset was if I just demonstrate a really hard work ethic, a good reputation, show that I'm disciplined, that I can push past stuff conditioning wise, always try to be the first one there, last to leave, mm-hmm. all those types of things, then maybe I would be able to work my way up in the ranks. And if not, it was I was just still excited to be able to be on the team, be a part of the team. Mm-hmm. And so earn that walk on spot, Beginning of my freshman year, played in just garbage minutes my, my freshman year in just a few games. And then sophomore year, it was really that summer going in from freshman to sophomore year of college that really just stayed all summer and make sure I stood out as far as my work ethic again and just doing whatever I could, knowing that maybe I didn't have the talent as some of the guys, but I could outwork them. Mm-hmm. and so because of that earned a, a full scholarship my sophomore year and then started starting towards the end of my sophomore year and other than being injured kind of held that through my senior year Um. so yeah I don't want to get too far ahead of myself and just continue on but yeah I think that was kind of a, a unique journey in, in college going from a practice player to a walk-on and Eventually, making my way up as a starting scholarship player.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's not really a journey that many athletes take, to say the least. Usually, people are the you know getting recruited to the schools, and you kind of know your place when you're getting in there, and then you have the opportunity to work up. But I don't, in my experience, you don't really see too many that you know go in just wanting to get the practice in, right? And and actually, when I look at my own university experience, every year we always had like one girl who would end up joining the team after tryouts like she wasn't recruited but it was usually like a local player who just had like this real drive and gritty play and would just like get the work done that needed to get done you know um and Mm -hmm. those end up being like some of the best players that you can rely on all the time honestly they're they're the best they have the best attitudes they're just like so happy to be there and just be part of everything and uh yeah I think it's uh it's a testament to like the character of those athletes to be able to go in have absolutely no expectations and then work their way up that ladder is is really cool.
1: Yeah, I think that's a big part of it is not going in with expectations and when you don't have that expectation you don't really have anything to lose and then also knowing that I felt like I was good enough to play at that level and not getting the recruiting that I felt like I I should have gotten kind of gave me a chip on my shoulder as well. Mm -hmm. So just to prove myself constantly every day that I do deserve to be at this level.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a common one that I see in athletes too. And it's honestly something that I've experienced myself and it's kind of like, I call it like a a attitude. Like, no, like I'm going to prove you wrong. Like, I don't care what anybody says about me, but like, I'm going to, make this work no matter what. Um, great attitude to have uh, can be a little detrimental at times if you don't like bring it back in check, I think. But yeah, right. it, it's still it's still really great attitude to to have, especially when you're walking in and you don't really have the, those expectations or, or don't know what to expect, more or less.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. It just kind of removes that pressure because when you go into whether it's college or professional level, and you have a lot of eyes on you, you're expected to do a lot of things. Maybe you put those expectations on yourself mm-hmm. to do a lot of things. Um, it just adds so much unnecessary pressure that you don't need. And when you have that, it just makes it that much more difficult to be able to perform freely and, and flow.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and when I think about putting those expectations on yourself, that's like a lot of pressure. Like there's, I don't think there's any bigger pressure than the pressure that you put on yourself. Like, of course your coach has expectations of you. Of course, like your teammates have expectations of you, but when you have like really high expectations of yourself, it can either like make or break you as an athlete and as a person, I think, but I'm curious like what your thoughts are on that.
1: Yeah, I, I think it, it, Probably varies a little bit from athlete to athlete. I yeah. think a lot of high performing athletes, they're their own biggest critic. And mm-hmm. so they're very, very hard on themselves to the point sometimes of perfectionism and, you know, can lead to self deprecating type behaviors. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm the same way, and that I am my own biggest critic. I put the highest expectations on myself. There's nothing that a coach, parent, or friend could say that would be harder on, on me than I am to myself. Mm -hmm. And so having that understanding, I think is a good thing, knowing that, you know, I have to be kind to myself, you know, demonstrate Mm self-compassion, which much easier said than done, especially (laughs) in the moment when you're maybe not performing up to your full potential, very easy to be hard on yourself, Mm -hmm. but always coming back to that realization, I think is super important.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm, I'm happy that you said that word like self compassion, because that's, that is a lesson in and of itself that took me so, so long to learn. And by the time I finally did learn, like I was out of university, like I had graduated, I was now in, in Norway, at that point, I was going through like my mental performance certification, I was learning about my own unsustainable strategies that were pushing me to perform, but is not going to work in the long term. And then on the top of all of this is like this pressure on myself, these high these high expectations and then like zero self-compassion. Could not feel bad for myself, could not be proud of myself. Like it was just this is the goal, we're going to go and get it. And once we get that goal, it's on to the next. Like I didn't know how to celebrate those things. I was just mm-hmm. like go 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 go. I didn't know how to rest.
1: Right. Right. Which is good in some regards, because it really pushes you like you're constantly pushing yourself to achieve that next thing. Mm -hmm. But if you never celebrate those things, if you never give yourself that acknowledgement, okay, I've, I've reached this goal, then you're always in that loop of just constantly pushing yourself, constantly being hard on yourself. And it really weighs on you eventually. Mm -hmm. And it, Honestly, it kind of brings you back because when you're not compassionate toward yourself, you lose that ability to be resilient. Because a lot of people think that in order to be resilient and be mentally tough and mentally strong, you really just constantly have to be going, be kind of like a dogged attitude.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: think of like someone like a, a David Goggins, like a stern face, constantly pushing themselves, going, going, going really hard, you know, looking themselves in the mirror, just straight up critic to themselves. Mm -hmm. But from the other side, when you're understanding toward yourself that you're human, you're going to make mistakes. You're not always going to be achieving that next goal. When you take two steps forward, you're going to take a step back. Mm -hmm. And so realizing that that's all part of the journey and to be okay with that, like giving yourself that self-compassion that gives you that resilience to continue going and doesn't weigh you down with that hard Mm self-critic.
0: Yes. And like the balance there is, is the key part because like if you're not hard enough, then I feel like you're leaving chips on the table. But if you're too hard on yourself, then you're, you're just burning yourself out and you have the candle going at both ends. And at some point, like you're going to crash. And so that was like my experience in university was like pushing myself to my brink where like I ended up having some like mental health issues that I had to work through, go see a doctor about, like I Mm -hmm. ended up losing starting position, you know, like there's just so many things that kind of fell by the wayside because I was pushing myself too hard and not exercising that self-compassion muscle. And so now it's like finding the sweet spot in, in that where I know I'm not pushing myself to the point of like complete exhaustion but I'm also not being like too easy on myself and being like, yeah, you're human. Like in the, that's true. Like you have to, like, you have to acknowledge it. Like everybody is human. We all make mistakes and it's all about like learning from those mistakes and moving forward. But I think when you're constantly too easy on yourself too, you're not going to get as far as you necessarily want to get, you know?
1: Totally. Totally. I I think I'm coming at that from, uh, my perspective and that's just, you know, I'm extremely driven and always wanting to push myself past that comfort zone, but that also does take that self-awareness. Like maybe if I'm not the person that wants to continuously push myself to the point of like burnout and, uh, (laughs) overwhelm, then yeah, you you have to step outside your comfort zone in order to grow. You have to put some stress on in order to see that growth Mm -hmm. and, like you said, if you're constantly outside that comfort zone, then you're just pushing yourself too hard. You have to be able to recover and adapt to be able to grow. Mm-hmm. So that self-awareness is is definitely key, but understanding that there is that balance, like you said.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I already said like you have very unique background, and I wasn't even like alluding to the fact that you were a walk on at Virginia Tech. that was not even yeah. like in my in my line of sight. I was thinking what you ended up doing after you graduated so if you want to get into that a little bit more you know share what that experience was like and and kind of how it impacted your life love to hear Mm -hmm.
1: yeah so was going into my senior year is the start of my senior season at Virginia Tech and my plan was to go play professionally once I graduated and so plan was to play overseas knowing that probably wasn't skilled enough to play in the NBA and that was fine so was, you know, thinking about maybe contacting some some people to or some agents to play in Italy, Spain, somewhere in Europe, mm-hmm. and then it was before the season started, my head coach at the time he gave me a book on the Navy SEALs, and he told the media in the same week he was like, "Will is Navy SEAL like tough?" And up until that point, I didn't really know what the Navy SEALs were, and. Um, honestly, probably maybe just heard it in passing a couple of times, but had no idea what it was, what they did. So when he said that comment and then gave me the book on it, I was definitely very intrigued and he gave me the book. It was called fearless. And once I read that book, everything changed. Like my path from playing professionally overseas went from that immediately to this is definitely what I'm going to do and try to become a Navy SEAL. Mm-hmm. And I think reading that book, the biggest thing that swayed me was, number one, I'm not really done testing myself. Like I really wanna push myself to the utmost capacity and, and reading the books and listening to the videos and podcasts, it was the number one most difficult military training to do. And so knew I wanted to push myself Another thing was the passion that I just felt in reading that book of these guys that are willing to lay their life on the line for something that they care so much about. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like that is the ultimate passion about what you do. And I I never want to be in a profession where I'm not passionate and I don't wake up excited about what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And so that was, that was a big key of it. And then I think just the brotherhood and and the values that I also saw in in reading that book. And so read that book, I was sold. This is what I'm going to do. So immediately following my senior season at Tech, started training for the SEALs, which was just a little bit different, getting in shape wise, more endurance versus sprinting up and down the court. Um, Swimming obviously is involved and Boy, was I surprised at how difficult getting in swimming shape was. I probably hadn't been in a pool in eight years other than play pool basketball. Mm-hmm. And I get in the first day I'm, I'm training. I swim one lap down, not even down and back. And I'm over huffing and puffing on the side of the pool. Like, what have I just got myself into? You know. <laughs> so it was definitely a transition uh, in physical shape wise getting mm-hmm. to that point. So, yeah, just spent the next few months after graduation, getting in shape. And then in November, I think, so about four months afterwards, went off to boot camp in Illinois, did that for two months, then went to Coronado after that, where SEAL training is located in in California. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And that was my life for the next five years.
0: So what was that actually like on a day in day out basis? Because like you said, it's like the hardest possible training that you can be in both physically and mentally.
1: Yeah, I think it was a very stressful time for sure. Also, when you look back, there's so many stories and, and memories that really stand out and it's fun reminiscing with your the people that you went through it with. Mm-hmm but yeah, during the time it was super, super stressful. I mean, just ultimately not getting a whole lot of sleep, doing an extreme amount of physical training, uh, putting your life on the line and certain evolutions and um, just, yeah, I think that the way to describe it best was just very high stress environment. Well,
0: yeah, of course, of course. And I mean, I think of now especially like if I have a, a night where I don't get very much sleep like next day I'm not I'm not happy necessarily like I'm like maybe a little yeah. bit grumpy a little irritable but then like to mix that in with like the extreme physical stress of whatever it is that you're having to do that day uh, I can't even imagine like what that would actually feel like and I think in our last conversation you had said that there's a certain amount of guys that go into this program, but there's very, very small percentage of people who actually end up graduating it.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I think with my class it was about four percent. We started with 209 guys at the very beginning of boot camp, and nine of us from those 209 graduated together a year and a half later. So whether it was I would say 80% of them are quitting typically in the first phase of what's called BUDS, basic underwater demolition slash SEAL. That's what the training is called to become a SEAL. Mm-hmm. Say 80% are out by the end of hell week, which was five, four weeks into the first phase of BUDS.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: that's just typically quitting or not able to make a physical standard. Um, a couple got hurt. But yeah, it's definitely huge, huge um, elimination from the beginning.
0: So what would you say is like the biggest thing that the SEALs uh, training taught you about yourself?
1: Taught me about myself is that I think just in general, because the same thing with the other guys that made it through is just you can handle a lot more than you think that you can. And when you compile every single thing that we did over the course of a year and a half in training, and then even beyond that, after training, once you are a SEAL, a lot of stuff is just as hard. You think it'll get easier? It doesn't. (laughs) Uh, In some regards, yes. But um, I think the biggest thing is that the human human mind and the human body can handle a lot more than you think that it can.
0: Mm -hmm. It's
1: a big lesson learned.
0: Like I said, I couldn't even imagine going through like whatever hell week you had to go through the, the mental fortitude you have to have to push your body physically to those limits and pass those limits is pretty high. So like going into training and then coming out, like, what is like the biggest difference that you feel mentally, physically, like spiritually, I- I'm not sure, but like, what is it that's, that's really resonated through that experience?
1: I think, and this kind of ties into that resilience and being able to handle more than you think, um, is that one thing really resonating with me is the, Process of taking one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I learned. I i had to live that way while I was going through as a SEAL, especially in Hell Week, when you don't sleep for that whole week. Yeah. And other than a nap on Thursday, which you get like an hour. But uh you're going 24/7 around the clock physically your only time you get to stop is when you're eating. And even when you're eating, sometimes they're spraying you in the face with cold water. So like, there's just no moments of comfort. And when you have so much going on like that, you have to force yourself to focus strictly on the present moment. And what I like to call it, and I'm sure it's being called this in other regards as well, but segmenting, Mm -hmm. And that's just breaking down your day, your week, your month or year, however long into small segments or chunks. Mm -hmm. And let's just take care of this one segment and then I'll focus on what else I have to do. And so a lot of times you find yourself just projecting into the future. And when you're doing that in this type of training, you're done because Mm -hmm. you have to get through the, like the single moment that you're in is so difficult, extreme, painful. And if you're thinking about what's going on, like, oh, I'm going to have to do this for another three days without any sleep or stopping. That's when you quit because Mm -hmm. it's just too much to handle. And so that kind of forced me to learn to really focus on the present moment. And I feel like it's just such an invaluable lesson to learn. And, uh, hopefully I care with me going forward, but I know that that was ingrained in me going through that training.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I could like the thought of going through something like that type of experience and then sitting there thinking about how much longer you have to do this. It's like getting into a plank for like five minutes and going through like the first minute, like, fuck, like, like, mm-hmm. that's a very small scale to what you've gone through, obviously, but just for, like, relational purposes for listeners here who can maybe have, like, a better understanding, um, yeah, like, that's, yeah. that's a good mindset to have and, like, bring yourself back to the present and
2: celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
0: We know hockey games move fast, but with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, you can score faster than anything happening on the ice. This week, new customers can bet 5 bucks and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app with code THPN. New customers bet 5 bucks on the NHL and get 200 instantly in bonus bets, only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. Please play responsibly. Then my question then becomes, you know, like in those moments where you're either physically or mentally or emotionally like being pushed to the point where it's like almost at breaking point, like was there like a mantra or like a certain like thought that would bring you back to the present moment and like keep you focused on the here and now?
1: Yeah, it was. So while you're, while you're going through Hell Week, the only thing that you can personalize, so you're wearing a uniform boots, like, like a cover full on uniform. The only thing that you can personalize on that is with inside of your cap, you can write whatever you want in there. And what I wrote in there were my sister's names, my mom and dad, my grandpa, just the people that meant the most to me. And it's actually funny. I just thought about this right now. I also wrote a quote in there. It's actually from the Office. <laughs> Lord, beer, Lord, Bear me strength. Um, <laughs> I just thought like I want the people that I care most about to be forefront in my mind. Like whenever mm-hmm. something's very, very difficult, I can just look at that. And then also I have some type of humor. Mm-hmm. And I think both of those things were huge, huge instrumental in getting me through.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it wasn't necessarily like a keyword, but I do remember at the most difficult times, one one time in, in particular, I remember, this is like the one time of Hell Week where I came to that point where i thought about okay i i don't think i can go anymore like i pushed so hard it was so you start hell week on sunday this was tuesday night so we've been going for a couple days nonstop, stop and we were doing what's called surf immersion basically getting to the point of hypothermia and i was so cold and was like all right this is it like i, I can't do this for another three four days like i'm i'm done And then as I thought about, okay, I'm going to go ring this bell, that's signifying that you quit afterwards. I'm going to have to go hop on the phone with my mom, my dad, my siblings, my coaches from Virginia tech, all these people that I really care about and tell them I just couldn't do it. I had to quit. And I just could not bring myself to making that phone call. Not because I they would have been mad at me or looked down on me less. They would have, you know, been so supportive and told me they love me and, you know, great job for giving it your best effort. Mm-hmm. But I think part of that is knowing that that's how I would have been welcomed mm-hmm. if I made that call and quit because mm-hmm. they were just so supportive. And I really cared about um, just making them proud. I think that was a big thing. And then, like I was saying before, humor, trying to find the humor in any situation is always, always helpful, especially when it's extremely stressful and maybe you don't think that you're going to get through it or you're overwhelmed. Trying to find the humor in in something really does give you strength and gives you a, a fresh perspective.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that you chose an office cold. That's one of my favorite, <laughs> one of my favorite TV yeah. shows. So that's perfect. Yeah, yeah that's, yeah. that's, uh, that's quite the story, honestly, like the thought of going into almost hypothermia, like just getting into the cold tub sometimes is like challenging enough for me. So like kudos to you for all of you have been able to accomplish going through such rigorous and demanding training mentally emotionally physically spiritually all of those things it's it's quite the accomplishment that like you said like not so many people are able to to complete and go all the way through so you know that was like you said it was a year and a half of training is that correct
1: yep a year Mm -hmm. and a half of training uh from about a year and eight months i think to be exact but from going into basic navy boot camp and then all of BUDS, and then the advanced training, which is called SQT, SEAL qualification training. Mm-hmm. And then you get your trident, and then you're a SEAL, and then you get assigned to a certain team, either on the West Coast or East Coast.
0: Okay. Okay. So once you got through that training, then then where were you sent after that?
1: So you get to pick what coast you want to go to. And I picked to go to the East Coast because I'm from Richmond, Virginia. And I would be stationed in Virginia Beach just an hour and a half away Mm -hmm. and figured if I got a weekend, it would be nice to be close to family and friends from back home. Mm -hmm. So I came back east and yeah, it was super, super nice being able to be, if we did get a weekend off, just being able to see family and friends and have that strong support unit, which is something I think is underrated as far as met the well-being and performance and just being a happy person
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah family is so important that was always the highlight of finally getting breaks even when I was in university as a as a university athlete like the ability to go home and spend time with family was like a treasured time absolutely and it still is now right. like I've been home for two weeks in the past four years so like any anytime that right. I get to go home and be with family like that's precious, precious time. Mm
1: -hmm. For sure. For sure. And I think it's important to acknowledge that that is like one of the top ways of recovery. I think something that when you feel like your balance is tipping a little bit too far, maybe you feel like you're reaching to the point of burnout, identifying which things really help you recover and, and get back to that point of I feel like I'm me again and I'm I feel balanced if there is a balance but
2: mm-hmm.
1: I, I think for me that was my number one and just being being around family and friends that are so supportive of me
0: mm-hmm. yeah well it like kind of reinvigorates you as a person I think like when you're feeling so low or so exhausted and then you actually just go get to relax and spend time with the people who you love and and cherish most. And then being able to like add the humor aspect and just relax and enjoy it. It really does like give your body, I think the comfort to just let go and actually try to recover physically and also mentally too.
1: For sure. For sure. Yeah. I I think, you know, our, our bodies and minds are like a, a cell phone battery, you know, you need to get recharged and mm-hmm. finding those things that help you recharge. So, so important, because if you don't have that, you're going to be constantly pushed to that brink of burnout and stress and overwhelm. And you got to find something that fills you, cut back up or fills mm-hmm. you up to 100 percent. And knowing knowing what those things are and being able to lean on them when you need them. So important.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and bringing this up kind of just made me think, you know, overtraining burnout, it takes a long time to recover from those types of things. And then I've got me thinking like, okay, hell week of like a week of not sleeping and just pushing yourself physically to the brink. Like, did you have downtime after completing this week? Like what was the recovery like?
1: <laughs> uh, so the recovery is so you get done on a Friday and I got done. I remember, Eating like an entire box of pizza, slamming a couple of Gatorades and then <laughs> sleeping for, I think like 18 hours straight, just had like a mattress and like my feet were up elevated on it and not even knowing what day it was when I woke up. But then you have Saturday afternoon and Sunday to kind of hobble around town and recover. My mom came into town, which was really cool, mm-hmm. flew into California. Uh, basically, it was just every hour and a half going to a different restaurant and eating more and just shuffling around. Um, yeah. So the, the next week after our week is less physically intensive for sure. Mm-hmm. Cause they know that no matter what, you're not going to quit. Mm-hmm. And so at that point it's like, okay, let's start training them a little bit. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that first week back was from what I remember we eased into it uh, a little bit and then transitioned straight into like pool work so it was a lot like in the water
0: Mm -hmm. yeah which I think is a lot easier on the body too right
1: yeah yeah for Mm -hmm. sure wow yep
0: wow I'm (laughs) I can't I really I can't the thought of doing any of these things is like a bit overwhelming just to think about but like to go through like I, I personally know I it's not for me would not choose to do any of those things so kudos to you for being able to push through that that's really like incredible I think
1: I yeah I appreciate it and I think one one important point that I like to make is I I definitely hear that statement a lot and one thing I always think about when I hear that is like oh I don't think I could do that that's crazy and it's like well if you think that like you couldn't do it If you don't believe that you can, like each of those 209 guys believed that they could do it. If they didn't have that belief, like I can do this, Mm -hmm. they wouldn't have even made it to that starting point. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, it was like, I I believe I can do it. I'm going to do whatever I can. And maybe these things that are outside my control, like getting hurt or getting sick or whatever it is physically, maybe would prevent me from getting there. So mm-hmm. I think that is like a prerequisite thinking Absolutely. that you can do it. And I don't know. I, I just like pointing that out. Cause I think it's an important realization that if you think you can, maybe you can, but if you think you can't, you definitely can't.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's that goes without saying. And that's for everything in life, not just going into seals, but like, you know, that's right, any right. athlete who says like, Oh, I want to play pro. That's great. I think that's a great goal to have. But if you're the one who's saying, I want to go pro, but then constantly like putting yourself down and and telling yourself like, oh, like I'm never gonna be able to do this or I can't do this. Like you're already a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like you can't mm-hmm. sit here and tell yourself I can't, or I don't think I can, or I don't believe in, in my abilities to accomplish this goal and then expect that it's going to happen. Like that makes no sense.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. No, I, I think just something to highlight it's a very significant thing that i don't know maybe is not something that we're aware of if we say like oh i don't think i could do that like that conditioning workout is crazy you know Mm -hmm. whatever your situation is or i don't think i could coach our team to beat this team they're so good Mm -hmm. well if you think that then probably is not going to happen and so give yourself a chance by having that prerequisite of at least believing that you can
0: Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's a a very good point to make so i'm happy you made it and so transitioning from like being in this space then so after going through the seals training you were there for a few years but then afterwards you kind of graduated and moved on into mental performance coaching so Mm tell tell me a little bit about that like what was the decision behind this why did you choose to get into the performance space and how have you used your own experiences both from university and also from SEALs to kind of translate into the work that you're doing now with athletes and, and coaches and such
1: mm-hmm. yeah so I was getting out of SEAL teams and was trying to figure out what I was going to do next and took a bunch of like strength finders, personality tests, interest tests, skills-based tests. And I think the number one thing that came up or the top three things that came up was professional athlete, special operations in the military, and then sports psychology. So I was like, okay, well, professional athlete was my number one thing that I thought I was going to do. And then it was the special operations. And so I was like, okay, the third one, haven't really tapped into that. Don't really know a whole lot of what sports psychology or mental performance is.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I started looking into it, read a couple of books. Again, I think a big thing that really puts me on a path is reading a book and getting sparked mm-hmm. through that and just getting more interested and curious about it. And then I just kind of follow where my interests lie and then mm-hmm. just become passionate about it. And so through that process, Sports psychology was kind of the perfect blend between having a background in basketball and, you know, being a SEAL, high performance, very mental based, kind Mm -hmm. of a good mesh. And so once I got out of the teams, I went to University of Denver to get my master's just because I thought it was important and still do, obviously, to have that education and Mm -hmm. knowing that it's not just about your personal experiences and really having that strong academic background as well
2: Mm
1: -hmm. so yeah now working with athletes taking that blend of my personal experiences and then uh, my master's in sports psych to help athletes with all things mental performance
0: and so going through all of these skills tests and interests and all of these things, okay, the top three things that came up, two of them, you had already like kind of been in pursuit of or in the same general area, right? Like, did it ever cross right. your mind or like decide that maybe you would want to get back into playing basketball and like try to go pro in Europe Did that ever kind of cross your mind afterwards?
1: I don't think so, just because of where my body was at at the time, mm-hmm. like just so so beat up. Which is funny because when I was graduating from Virginia Tech, my senior year, I had a couple elbow surgeries, I had a knee surgery, my nose broke out a few times. I just felt like I was just like so broken, and so I was like. I can't play professional sports. I'm going to go into something that's even more grueling on your body. Which <laughs> I don't know how that decision led to that. But yeah, when I was, when I was getting out of the team, like it just compressed spine just a lot of like body messed up and didn't mm-hmm. even really cross my mind going back into sports.
0: Okay. Okay. Understood. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like it's, it's literally a beating on your body and your brain. So i mean coming out of that then not choosing to go back into pro sports now into the performance coaching like has your body readjusted i assume afterwards like you have you had any issues because of going through such an intense and vigorous training period
1: um yeah i think my body at this point now i'm a few years removed has definitely recovered um something I didn't even think about. So I had a few months between the time I got out and I think it was April of 2020. Yeah. April of 2020 was when I got out and then I didn't start school for another five months. Mm-hmm. And so during that time frame, figured it'd be a good idea to get into ultra marathon running. So I ended up running six ultra marathons in that that short time frame and really didn't have a whole lot of background in running other than being in the SEALs, which there is a good amount of running for sure.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think honestly, it was probably sparked by reading David Goggins' book, Can't Hurt Me, and mm-hmm. him gone from being a SEAL to all of a sudden ultra marathon running probably had a good influence on me now that I look back on it. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that definitely didn't do me any favors as far as physical recovery. But I stopped running ultras about a year and a half ago now. So Mm -hmm. body's feeling great. And I I think it's really, really important that I've given it time to fully recover.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, And so like now you're feeling like you're fully recovered. So what is like a normal week in terms of training now look like for you because I assume that you're still doing something there's no way you're not
1: yeah I'll say six days a week waits um, I typically do Sunday is just like an active recovery go for a long walk with our dog mm-hmm. but I think it's I and mean, if you don't continue to push yourself then you lose that edge and I just feel like one of my biggest values is continuous growth whether it's physical, mental, financial, mental, emotional, you know, always trying to push myself. And I think having a daily early morning workout does so much, not just for my physical, but for my mental as well. And that bleeds into all aspects of my life. And I think having that consistent workout each day is, does more for me than I probably realize. And Mm -hmm. gives me a discipline gives me energy throughout the day again it helps me fill that bucket of continuously growing Mm -hmm. so yeah i think always pushing yourself in whatever way you want to maybe it's you know i'm doing crossfit or maybe it's doing long distance running but having something that is helpful for you really important
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah absolutely all right so before we start to close out here um would love to first like hear a little bit more about what you have going on now then i know you're still in performance coaching you have like some other things that you're you're doing as well but share a little bit about what you have going on and then lastly i want to hear like what are the the top three book recs that you would suggest to anybody who's listening today
1: oh i like that question Um, so what I have going on right now is my LLC that I just formed mind driven performance LLC website is currently being built out. Hopefully by the time this episode's released, it will be fully up and running. And so that's just me one-on-one working with athletes on anything, mental performance, whatever it is they want to work on.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: In addition to that, have a couple other ventures on the side. One will be working with future professional athletes as they go through the draft process. Other is doing some visualization with more, say, like working professionals, you know, mm-hmm. some business exec- executives, people that are not in the sport or high risk realm, but are still performers.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Obviously, everyone is a performer in their own right. So, Leading them and more specifically visualization type stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Really just been doing a deep dive into visualization and how powerful that can be and getting into the weeds of that. Just Mm -hmm. such a such a cool and valuable tool. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, doing kind of have my hand in a few things right now. And then as far as book recommendations, (laughs) I would say. Number one would be the book that I was just talking about. I actually have it for those that are watching fearless Mm -hmm. by Eric Blem. Number one book. I think even if you're not trying to be a seal, even if you're, it doesn't matter what you're getting into. I think the book is just rooted in determination and courage and, is something I I would recommend for anyone, regardless of your profession and what you're doing. And then the second book I would recommend is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl.
0: Oh, such a good book.
1: And oh man, it is. Yeah, that's also one of my favorite books of all time. I think a big part of it kind of relates back to Finding humor in any situation, what I was talking about going through Hell Week and having the quote, Lord, bear me strength. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: um, Victor frankel talks a lot about that in his time in the concentration camps and being able to find humor. And, you know, that is probably the worst situation a human being could be in, and still finding a purpose and meaning and finding humor in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so those two. And then, Another book that I feel like I reference a lot is by a sports psychologist, mental performance coach, J.F. Menard from Canada, and his book is Train Your Brain Like an Olympian, Okay, and I feel like it is one of my favorite personal growth books. It has a lot of sports psych, mental performance type topics, and I feel like he just writes it in such a relatable way that it's easy to not only implement in your own life, but if you're a mental performance coach or just a coach in general, being able to help athletes and then athletes in general can learn a lot by just reading this on their own. Mm -hmm. Just feel like it has so many good concepts, confidence, focus, being able to reach your full potential breaks it down in a really good way. Mm
0: -hmm. And so,
1: yeah, those are the, those are the three books
0: all right i'm gonna have to give the last one a, a read for sure i don't know if i'll end up reading fearless but maybe i will who knows i have a, a book yeah. list that needs to be finished for this year so i need yeah. to add a few more but uh yeah like the, the last one that you mentioned sounds a little bit similar to one that i always recommend to all my athletes is mind gym by gary mack like mm-hmm. such mm-hmm. a great book full with so much value and in such short like bursts i think it's just like the perfect introductory book for anybody who's interested in mental performance who's like in athletics and maybe doesn't want to get too into the weeds on like the scientific background of everything uh, right. i think it's like super relatable too so that would be my one book recommendation as always but uh we'll definitely yeah. take a look for this one that you just said like train your brain like an olympian that sounds really interesting i think
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think both sounds like um, with Mind Gym as well, just breaking it down into very simple terms with Mm -hmm. all the complexities and information overload that we're just inundated with every day, being able to have something that's broken down and simple, easily digestible that you can apply into your life immediately Mm -hmm. is very, very valuable.
0: Yes, 100%. And that's what I'm hoping to like be doing with this podcast. And I hope that's what all listeners are able to kind of take away from these episodes is just like, very concise and simple strategies to help you know, whether it's build confidence or focus or motivation, whatever the heck it is, or even just conversations like this, where it makes it much more relatable. And taking all of the complexities out of it is like, so important. Like you said, like the information overload these days is overwhelming so especially with younger athletes when they're like just glued to the phone and scroll 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 all the time like Mm -hmm. so important to just get get straight to the point on a lot of things
1: (laughs) right yeah Mm -hmm. definitely all
0: right well thank you so much for joining today will i don't know if you have socials or anything that you want to leave if people here would like to reach out to you and contact you but feel free to do that i can also link everything in the show notes as well
1: yeah, socials not a social media person at all. And I like it that way. That's by design. Mm-hmm. Um, so really the only way that you can find me until my website's built out, which again, it should be by the time this is released, mind your performance. But the other way is just my LinkedIn. Just typing mm-hmm. in Will Johnston, mental performance consultant, you'll find me
0: yeah, I'll also link that in the show notes. not a social guy, but we'll we'll put your LinkedIn there. So again, will, <laughs> thank it. you, thank you so much for coming in and and having this conversation, making the time out of your busy schedule, I assume. Uh, really appreciate it. and I assume that all of the listeners also appreciate it too.
1: yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Glad to chop it up. and um, yeah, I think you're you're putting out a lot of great stuff for athletes and coaches that I think is extremely valuable for them, and you do break it down, I feel like, in a very simple, straightforward way, so just happy to be on, and thanks for having me on.